Max Gawler, Melbourne Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cotchin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Benderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey friends, you got MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well and welcome back to another episode of the 50 Most Relevant where we're counting down who I think are the most relevant players to look at across your Supercoach Dream Team and AFL Fantasy sides. Number 34, Caleb Sarong. We told you yesterday we were going to talk about another docker. He's in, Caleb Sarong. And every time we get a docker, we've got to talk to Minimunk. Well, that's what it's looking like so far in 2023. Hello, Minimunk. How are you, man? Yeah, yeah, I'm good to be back. Back-to-back episodes, and this certainly isn't the docker that I was expecting to be talking about at this point in the 50 most relevant, but I'm here to have a conversation about Caleb Sarong, and I, I think that there's a lot of interest here that's, you know, potentially slipping to the wayside from people just ignoring the price point or going for others at the price point. Yeah, and and you're right. That's what we one of the mantras of the coaches panel is it's not about saying you must do this or you cannot do that. It's about a conversation. And is Caleb Sarong in the conversation or should he be in the conversation? The fact that I've got him in at number 34 is telling you I think he needs to be just the 21 years of age, soon to be 22 once the season gets underway. Last year, the highs were pretty high and the lows were painfully low. His top score last year in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team was against the Gold Coast Suns. It was a 126, while in Supercoach, it was a 128 against the Collingwood Football Club. His career high scores both happened in the 2021 season. He was in the derby against the West Coast, or the Derby, depends on which part of Australia you're in, 135 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, while it was a 143 against the Kangaroos in Supercoach. In AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, he's coming off an average of 87.7. It means in those formats, he's going to set you back just a touch under 800K in DT and 777,000 in Fantasy. 777, the number of perfection, right? Anyway, shut up, MJ. 90.6 in Supercoach is his Supercoach price point, meaning he is just $1,200 shy of being half a million dollars. And really, Mini Monk, Caleb Sarong burst onto the scene for us in that 2020 season, didn't he? Uh, Became one of the best cash cows of the year. He ended the year with a massive ton and scored multiple tons across the year. And he highlighted from those early days that that junior scoring pedigree that he had was going to translate at some point across to the elite level. Yeah, I mean, as a Freo fan, I was waiting for him to make his debut in that 2020 season. I was like, come on, give him a crack. He can kill it. He'll be he'll be a gun. And then he comes out and he, he gets a, a couple of poorer scores, but then he shows and gets more consistency and gets some really good scores and ends up, you know, finishing the season off with, as you said, that ton in both AF and, and Supercoach and then backs it up with another great season in 2021. And then, you know, comes into 2022 and everyone's, you know, a bit more hot on him. They're thinking, mm. oh, can he have that third year breakout? Can he go 100 plus in AFL Fantasy and 105, 110 in Supercoach? But he comes into the season under. He comes in a little injured, doesn't have a great start to the season, has a few poor scores, and everyone goes, oh, this guy, he's burnt me. Rough start. Everyone goes off of him. But then he just quietly turns away, has a good season, comes out, as you said, with an 87 average and 88 average in AFL Fantasy and a 90 average in Supercoach. In your third year, you go, yeah, it's... It's pretty good for a third-year player. You take those most times. Probably not what most people were expecting for him, that especially right. the ones that started him. But, you know, he's a pretty good player. And he, he provides a lot for 
for fantasy coaches and for the Dockers in terms of their midfield. Yeah, well, he ranked last year in the league, remembering he missed a couple of games battling that knee injury that hampered not just his preseason, but certainly that first month of the year, missed a couple of games with it. But he still ranked inside the league, top 20 by averages for stoppage clearances, contested possessions, handballs, and clearances. When we dive into some of the fantasy numbers of what he gave us last year, we've already talked about those seasonal averages, but in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, an 87.7 consisted of seven tons, just the one score over 120. Interestingly, seven scores under 80. So that's some of the burn that Mini Monk is highlighting. But if you look at his season, almost in a, in a bunch of splits, there's some interesting trends there. In AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, it was a 77 for the first five games. He went at 88 in the last five games. In the middle 10 games, he went at 92.8. But there was a six-game stretch between round eight and 13. He hit the 102.5. That's premium territories in that six games. Over in Supercoach, with that average of 90.6, he managed to give us a bunch of tons in that format too. Eight tons, just the one over 120. And also the same in DT and Fantasy, the seven scores under 80. Using those same four splits across the year. First five games, 75.6. Last five games, 92.8. The middle 10 games, a 97, but the peak of his year was a six-game stretch around 8 to 13, the same as AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. He goes at 109.3. That, I think, Mini Monk, are the signs that fantasy coaches are looking for with him where they go, we see pockets and moments at the end of 2021 where he goes 118, 117, 116 in AFL Fantasy and 115, 135, 103 in his final three games of Supercoach. It's that combined with this pocket of middle stretch where he seemed to be at his best, contested footy, getting it done on the outside, setting up scoreboard impacts, helping his teammates. It's these powers combined that has fantasy coaches going, yes, he, he can be a fantasy premium. Yeah, I mean, you're looking for the players that have those patches and seasons where they go, mm. right, this is me. This is who I am as a fantasy scorer. I want to be, you know, 100, 105 averaging over that block. And you look for them and you think back and you think, right, well, if I'm wanting to start a player, what do I need to see in their scoring history to, to justify that? And I think a six-week block where, as you said, he averaged nearly 100 in AFL Fantasy and, you know, 102 in Supercoach shows enough of that ceiling and that consistency from a player who's coming only into their fourth year as well. Like, yeah, we always talk about the third year breakout, but, you know, there's some stats for fourth year's breakouts as well. And I think Sarong can definitely continue to improve and, and push that 100 marker in both of those formats or all of the formats at least and and have a consistent year where he goes, you know, not at 87 or, or 90 in Supercoach, but goes at, you know, 95 to 108 for Fantasy and over 100, 100, 105 in Supercoach because he's shown he can do it for a six-week block. And all it takes is, you know, removing those bad games where you go sub 70 in AFL Fantasy and sub 80 in Supercoach and a couple of games where you pop a little bit more of a ceiling and all of a sudden you're at that mark. And he's yeah. shown that he has the skill to be able to do that. He's shown that he has a consistency to be able to do that in a block of games. All that has to happen now is he just needs to put the two together and do that over an entire season. 
Yeah, and we even saw moments in the AFL finals he did it. Again, it's very different football, but it certainly suited him, that hot contested footy. 120 in Fantasy and Dream Team and 118 in Supercoach in those two games. And and you're bang on, Mini Monk, with these young players. It's all about trajectory and trend. Can we go from moments to quarters to games to a series of games to show your fantasy pedigree? And I think the answer for Sarong is... Yes, he's doing all those things. The question is now, can you do it for not just six or three or four or eight weeks? Can you do it for 10, 12, or in season 23, can you do it for 23 weeks? It's an interesting year when you look at what he did and then you look at what's coming in to that Fremantle side. It was that injury interrupted season with the knee. Of the seven sub-80 scores he had last year, four of them across the formats were in the first five weeks. So his stat line immediately improves when you look at him post-injuries. Um, his stat line really jumps. But but what fascinates me, Mini Monk, and you're the Frio fan of the coaches panel, so I'm keen mm. on your take here, is there's a significant out and arguably an equally significant in that has come in to this Dockers side. Mundy out, Omiri in. What does that mean for Sarong, both in his role and even to an extent what happens through centre bounces more broadly speaking? Yeah, I, I don't see his role changing too much. I think Freo have tried to go very like for like with the replacement of Mundy with Jaeger Omira. Um, Mundy has been a staple of Fremantle's midfield rotation for the last 10 years and his, his presence for... Brayshaw and Sarong during their youth and the development cannot be, you know, overstated. He was mm. phenomenal in providing that big body, that calm head and that composure that allowed them to develop to be the players that they are now. Um, and I think they've brought in Jaeger to try and bridge that gap a little bit and potentially try and provide some support for the younger players. But I don't think that, I don't think that O'Meara will get the same CBA share that Mundy does. He will still get a fairly significant share. Freer will run a very, very tight CBA rotation, which will mainly be Brayshaw, Sarong, Jaeger Mira, and Brody. And outside of that, there may be a few players that get 5 or 10% here and there, such as Fife, maybe an Erasmus, maybe a Johnson. Maybe if they're trying to throw some explosivity in there, they might chuck a Walters in. But I think that the share that Sarong will get because mm. of Monday's departure and O'Meara's, you know, coming into the club will increase. We're talking, you know, 70% to maybe 75, 80%. But even that might be enough. I mean, there's, there were statistics from him from last season where when he averaged, when he had more than 70% CBAs in a game, mm. he averaged 10 points per game more in AFL Fantasy and eight and, and Dream Team and eight points per game more in Supercoach. Mm. And so even a small bump like that can have a significant impact on a player who's, you know, just on that edge of being someone that you can consider. It's it's a really great stat to pick up. And and one of the things I think of why people have overlooked Sarong this year is there's a lot of guys at this yes. price point um, across the formats. Some of them have already been revealed so far in the 50 most relevant. Others may not appear, but names like Chad Warner, Luke Davies Uniac, Tom Green, John Newcomb, and Adam Chera, his former teammate. Uh, these are just five young guns in the competition that across formats are five, 10, 15, $20,000, some of them, um, difference in point. And then you've got a fallen guy like a Whitfield who's got the history of a 110. So he, because he's had 
a quote unquote down season in contrast to probably some of these other guys who have got maybe a more positive narrative around him. The challenge is, can you choose Sarong over these guys versus if I do choose Sarong over these guys, I might be creating some positive separation. Yeah. And I think the narrative for Sarong as with a lot of these guys is that they're all relatively young in their, their seasons and, and they're all relatively young in the AFL. The only one, in that list who's had more than six seasons in the AFL or more than five seasons, in the AFL is Whitfield. Yeah. But I don't think his name talked about as much as the others. I mean, Warner, Chera, Newcomb, LDU, Green, these are all players that are five years or younger in the AFL. They're mm. all continuing to progress upwards. They're all the young contested type ball players in their midfields. And they all have the potential to become out and out premiums for their sides. And for us in, in AFL fantasy, Supercoach and dream team, and, and normally this price point where you're priced at around about that 90 average is considered just around that awkward price point. Mm. It's just that price point you're thinking, oh, if I spend 50, 60K more, I can get an out-and-out premium that will last me for the end of the year. Or, yeah. oh, there's not enough value in here. I'm going to drop it down to somewhere in 100K less and try and find sure. some value and use that, trim the fat somewhere. But when you've got such a clustering of these guys that are within, as you say, 10, 20, 30K of each other, chances are most teams are going to try and start one, maybe two of them. Mm. And it's about trying to find which one you want to start. And the other thing is if there's all of these options at that price point, if one of them fails, it's not hard to just move it's to the other move. one. It's, it's a very move. easy move. And, and so and then you got to be thinking, yeah. right, which of them do I want to start? And you got to look at it and say, right, why do I want to start them? Is there a narrative around them? Well, mm. for players like Green and LDU, there's a narrative around there's going to be opportunities. For players like Warner, he's continued to improve as a player. For someone like Chera, maybe there's you know a bit of absence of Walsh, which will increase his scoring. Newcomb, he's basically one of the most experienced midfielders left in, yeah. in, in Hawthorne. And people have kind of not looked at a narrative for Saron. They've kind of just gone, right, don't really want to start him. He's burnt me before. But I think the narrative for him is maybe Freo have a really, really easy run to start the year. It's like Kilda, six weeks. North Melbourne, West Coast, Adelaide, Gold Coast, and the Western Bulldogs are the first six weeks. It really will tighten up against the Lions in round seven, but those are all midfielders that the Dockers shouldn't just come comparable to, but their fantasy opportunities are there. Yeah, exactly. And... If he fails, heaven forbid, you just jump off. Those and first two to four trades are always correctional, aren't they? Whether exactly. they be rookies, premiums, stepping stones, you always have to factor in, even in the limited trades formats, heading into round three before the bubble, what are the two to three trades you're going to make that are correctional? Because I know I want to get your take on his super coach scoring in a second, because I think there's a narrative that he's only a dream team and fantasy guy. And I think there's some flaw in that, but what's your take on this is a trade valued at the same point, whether you're trading a cow or trading a premium, or is there a difference in that? I think that the purpose for cows is for you to generate cash. Sure. And so you need them to score enough to generate cash. And sometimes that's going to come over a four or five week stint. Sometimes it's going to come over a 10 to 15 week stint. And the point of your premiums is to score points. Yeah. You need them to be banging out 100s, 105s, 
to prove that they've got the the kind of scoring to justify being in your team and so that you have to weigh them differently if a premium isn't performing with his scores that's when you have to move him out but if a cow isn't perform, um, performing with their scoring the same narrative doesn't hold because it might be like well they haven't generated enough cash i have to yeah. hold on to them and so yep. yeah i think i think that you need to be more willing to say right this premium isn't performing he isn't the one that I need. Like, like there was a bunch of defender premiums last year that had that, like Jaden, well, not Jaden Short, sorry, um, Lockie Whitfield in yeah. Supercoach. Didn't yeah. start the year well. A lot of people got very stubborn. They said, no, I want to hold this guy. He's going to be a consistent performer. And he just continued to, to, to let you down. Never and landed. Gone and never landed. But yeah. to, to flick a premium like that early on in the season and say, right, they don't have the role, I think it's fine. I think yeah, you've I got agree. to be, you know, willing to make those moves and, I think it's become more justifiable with the increase in trades that have happened in Dream Team and Supercoach over the years. 100%. You've got yeah. trade boosts now, so you can really maximise how you use that. So I'm with you. Before we wrap up our take on Sarong, I see a lot of people in AFL fantasy, once they've heard this podcast going, oh, I, I could run a midfield that's just got one maybe max of two kind of captaincy options in my midfield. Mm. And now I can run three of LDU, Green, Warner, Sarong, Newcomb. Like I can get this nice bunch that could all pop up to a hundred. And I, that might be the right approach. It might not be, but I, I think people can see why in AFL fantasy, you can jump off easier. There'll still be that legacy coach that struggles with that idea that you've mentioned of, Oh, he's not delivering well. So I'll trade out a guy I hope to hold for the year. But there is this place in Supercoach. I'm keen on your take. There's some stats you've got for us because I shared how good he is at stoppages and clearances. But is there anything that shows he's on a pathway that he could match it with some legacy premiums? Yeah, I think that when you think about Sarong, you think of him as a very contested player. He gets yes. a lot of inside ball. But the problem in Supercoach for him is that he gets let down by his uh, disposal efficiency. Yes, a lot of clangers. He, he isn't very accurate with the way that he kicks and handballs the ball. Bit of a butcher at times, but that's something that can be cleaned up, and that's something that improves with players over time. And there's a narrative that that could be a way for him to increase his scoring over time. True. But I think a really interesting one is to compare his contested possession rate to other contested balls that have been in the past in Super okay. Coach. And for me, the ones that stand out when you're talking about contested players that just Rack it out, rack it up in and under, game yes. in, game out. Ben Cunnington. No doubt. Yep. And Josh Kennedy. Yeah, from the JPK, yep. not JKJ. Yeah. And Sarong has gone from seven and a half to nine and a half to 11 and a half contested possessions a game. Nice. That's 40 odd percent of his possessions in a game are contested. And you That's compare good. that to someone like Cunnington and Josh Kennedy after their third year. Hmm. Kennedy is an absolute freak 14 and a half <laughs> contested possessions a game that's a lot cunnington oh. eight and a half a game dang sarong is smack bang in the middle of these two players he's going to be the same type of player for you know the next five years where he's just that hard body he's going to be extractive for Fremantle, getting the ball from the inside to the outside and i can only see that number increasing as responsibilities continue to go on to him i agree and so you care those two things together you, you pair an increase in contested possessions and a decrease in his um, and an increase in his disposal efficiency. Mm. That's just oof. 
there's some significant increase that's going to come in his scoring in Supercoach. Might not be next year, might yeah. take a few more years, but it could be next year and it could be very, very juicy for the owners that are willing to start him. Yeah, I really, really like that. He's, he's a fascinating player. There's a lot in and around him that others might like over him. But again, it's another reason why Sarong might just be really right for your fantasy side. Mm. Draft day is an interesting one, Mini Monk, because he's not getting the love that some of those others are getting, even though he's ranked pretty much 45th mid across the formats once you remove the DPPs. That puts him in an M5 spot. I don't know if he goes that late. I feel like that feels a bit of a steal across the formats. There's M3 upside, but there's M5 basement. Where do you think he goes? It's probably somewhere in between those two. Yeah. It's probably an M4. You're, you're probably pretty comfortable taking an M4 range. I think if you've got him in an M5, you've got an, a steal on draft day. There's a little bit of value built into him, as you said, when he came into the season with a bit of a knee niggle and his scoring wasn't quite there. Um, there might be a coach that takes a punt him at an M3, and I wouldn't begrudge that, but I think it might be slightly early. You might be trying to you know, put any, too many eggs into the same basket and say, no, I think Saron can be a 100 guy. I think that's maybe a little premature, but I think you're very comfortable taking it M4. And, yeah. and I think that he provides you with a lot of consistent scoring at that, at that draft point as well. I think so. Look, if you really want to have him in, you have to leap at a D3, at an yeah. M3, sorry. Yeah. Like if you want him, you've yes, just yes. got to go early because if you hope he'll get to your M4, there's a chance. But if you're then even try to run the gauntlet even deeper and go, maybe I'll get him at M5 is where he's 20, 22 average will have him. Well, you're playing with fire at that point. Yeah, you really um, are through there so it'll be interesting to see what he does in 2023 and where he goes as his adp for the season mini market absolute pleasure to have you back on these podcasts mate thanks for having me and yeah it's a good one to be able to talk about the the team i support and the players that i love to watch week in week out and yeah can't wait for more of them yeah, we will talk about more Dockers, I can guarantee, you, in the 50 most relevant. If you want to go and read the article on Caleb Sarong, it is online for you now at coachespanel.tv, along with all the other players we've revealed so far in the 50 most relevant. I'll give you a clue in just a moment about who I've got at number 33. But if you're loving these podcasts, there's a couple of things you can do. Make sure you follow them wherever you're streaming or downloading this podcast from make sure you follow there leave a nice five-star rating and review it takes just a couple of seconds to do it but certainly helps us out or you can become a patreon supporter for just a couple of bucks a month it helps us financially do everything we do here at the coaches panel but also we'll kick in some extra bonus stuff for your financial support hidden access to groups exclusive content that we don't share with anybody else but with our patreons extra podcasts during the season come your way and if you become a premium or a breakout to your supporter you get these podcasts 24 hours early so if you want it coachespanel.tv is where you can become a patreon number 33 in the 50 most relevant they're not a docker so maybe mini monk won't be on their podcast all right here's what i'll say there were six players that we contrasted caleb sarong scoring and price point against against the six players were chad warner luke davies uniac john newcomb tom green adam chera and Lockie whitfield tomorrow we're talking about one of those guys 
And if you go back and look at the history of the 50 most relevant this year, it'll narrow the field even more for you. Who's tomorrow in the 50 most relevant? Oh,